Spencer, you meet with remodelers and home builders regularly, and so often you'll report to the builder rental team that these prospects and clients will ask, how can I rank number one on Google? So what do you usually tell them? You know, I say you just do a couple of magical things and then boom, you're number one. <laughs> no, it, it usually becomes a part of a larger discussion, you know, and it's a very complex question, which is hopefully what we're going to talk about today. Sure. And do they usually hope there's kind of a one solution fits all type of way to go about SEO? Yeah, I would say that's pretty common. You know, people know about SEO. They usually like to say they know enough to be dangerous and, you know, they know it involves some keywords and trying to change things up and rank higher in Google. So that's generally the gist of it. Sure, sure. So what it ultimately comes down to is how your competitors are doing online. And that's not usually what people will think of. But when it comes to your digital presence, you have to consider non-local competitors too, especially big sites like Zillow, House, and other directories. Yeah, and so I think the question that really comes up is, why should you com you know compare yourself to competitors or even be thinking about your competitors? Definitely. It's ultimately because your website does not exist in vacuum. Your website content is compared to other similar content on your competitor websites and other directory websites in your local area. And so when search engines are deciding what content to serve to searchers, they're evaluating your content alongside your competitor's content to pull in their search results. Makes sense. And without getting too far into the weeds, this means that if your domain authority is lower than your competitor's domain authority, say yours is 24 and your competitor's is 28, then for similar content on your sites, your competitor's content is actually likely to rank higher than yours in the search results. For example, if uh, you have a kitchen remodeling services page or a custom home building process page, both of you have a page on your website like this because that's what you do. And so you're going to be ranking in comparison to each other because of your site's domain authority, because of your local SEO and your prominence throughout the internet. So domain authority, you've kind of thrown out these numbers like 24 versus 28 or 32 versus 24. So what's the scale there? And then are we gonna dive into how do you impact that number? Sure, keep in mind, all of the algorithm updates and the base algorithm that Google has, it's all proprietary. So any SEO, any SEO tool that you use is basing their tool information and their own data collection off of what they see as um, common threads among ranking factors. And they're aggregating that information from what they can do with that data. So when I reference domain authority, it's based off of a zero to 100 scale that SEOs will use to determine kind of where a good baseline is of your site and how all of the 200 plus ranking factors are relating together so that when Google sees you, it's evaluating your domain authority that way. Gotcha. So the, the short answer is there's a lot of factors that go into it and the tools that measure this are only using data and studies that large companies have done to the best of our knowledge of what we think Google is looking at. Yes, so tools like Moz's ranking tool and Ahrefs tool, they use their own um, 
technology, their own database of information to pull the domain authority that they report, to pull any of the ranking and SEO information that you're looking at in their own software. So you do have to consider the implications of that piece of it, how we don't exactly know what portion of the algorithm is looking at maybe your page loading speed or the number of links on your page or how many backlinks you have. So we're doing our best as SEOs to try to take the information we are getting from Google and what we're identifying as common themes in searches and search rank positions to determine what's more important, what's less important. And at the end of the day, it comes down to having a quality user experience. All right, so we talked about competition, but then there's also this local SEO piece. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes, you also have to consider the implications of local SEO especially on Google search engine, your proximity to the searchers matters a lot. And so if you're in a warehouse district in the boonies of town while your competitors are close to downtown or closer to the residential sectors of your city, it's likely that your competitors will outrank you in search results as well. So your physical location actually impacts your digital presence too. It's crazy. Yeah. And I know that's come up on several calls with remodelers and builders and they're going, well, I want to target these kind of two or three areas, but my office is actually in this other location. And my first thought is always like, ah, oh, dang it, that's, it's just a hurdle you have to overcome. Is, is there anything you can do about that? Or is it just kind of like, well, you could move your business and you're out, you're out of luck other than that? You know, it's part of Google's game at this point. We're just puppets in the big scheme of it all and doing the best that we can. Ultimately though, if you're in kind of a warehouse district or you're farther away, you can work on a lot of other things to improve your SEO. So you don't have to move tomorrow. You can do a lot of other stuff to improve your SEO and rank above your competitors, even if your competitors have a better physical location. Okay, so we kind of talked about competition, domain authority, local SEO, kind of these, these terms, I guess, that are coming into play here. Let's get a little more tactical. How do we actually start making improvements so we can outrank our competition? Yes, let's get into the nitty gritty, actually gets you some tools that you can use to move the needle. So there's a couple of ways to do this. To improve your domain authority, you should really focus on improving your technical SEO and implementing a consistent content strategy for building up your SEO reach. You can learn more about those topics in episodes two and three, as well as episode seven, which we will release next week. And then to improve your local SEO, you should definitely include your service area on your website and include location-specific phrasing wherever it's natural. So usually in page and blog titles. And beyond that, you should also consider a local citation cleanup, which we talk more about in last week's episode, episode five. Right on. So I guess as we're thinking about this domain authority number, we kind of use some examples of 24 or 28. It's zero to 100 is the scale. If you get to like 70 or something like that, are you all set or is this just like a game of always improving it? Sure. Great question. And really, it comes down to where your competitors are at. Mm -hmm. If your competitor's domain authority is above 70, then you've still got to keep improving. You've got to get above your competitor's domain authority. If your competitor's domain authority is lower than whatever number you're at, then you're more likely to rank above them in search results, assuming that you have similar types of content that you would be competing against in those rankings. Makes sense. Okay, so basically we're 
really looking at it in comparison to competition because if everyone else is a 10 and you're a 20 or a 30, that may seem low to somebody else in another market, but you're not really competing against them. So as we move forward, you know, how do you take control of the things you can control? Because you don't know what they're doing for SEO, your competition down the street. Maybe you can see what they're doing, but you can't stop them from doing it. So what are the things that we can do? Exactly. And if you've been doing Google searches lately on different topics, you may notice, especially for remodelers, that Zillow is writing a lot of content lately. And Zillow is such a huge site that their domain authority just over and above surpasses most of what you can do as a small or medium-sized business. And so you're really going to have to broaden the scope of what you're writing about, really prove that you're authoritative on these remodeling and home building topics. And so focus also on improving user experience and answering user intent. These goals have been the focus of pretty much every episode in this series, and there's a reason why. In relation to your content, Google cares most about making their users happy. That's how they get people to come back to their search engine. And so successfully achieving this requires a two-pronged approach. One, you have to optimize the content that you send people to. And two, you have to send people to your content. Makes sense. And I'm glad you said that because a lot of times when I talk to people, they think SEO is just all keywords. They go, oh, you know, I'm putting some keywords on my site or I'm paying this company and they're doing some keyword stuff. You know, it's all very generic, but, you know, the emphasis on content and that's where you include the keywords but you have to have something that helps the visitor and maybe you can correct me but I always tell people that I'm talking to Google really cares about just a couple of things they want to get their users to the best information the fastest they can and so I say if you're using those as kind of your north star you're never going to be doing black hat things or you know going too far off track because if they don't give people the best information the fastest, they'll go use Yahoo or Bing. Is that right or am I off base here? No, you're not off base at all. That's definitely true. Google wants to provide that quality user experience. That's why they've started pulling in rich results even onto their search results pages like the featured snippet and the people also ask questions and the image carousels and everything like that. It's to decrease the barrier of user experience online between what someone's looking for and their ability to find a solution for that problem or that product that they want to buy. So that's definitely on point. And it's funny because a lot of SEOs will get caught up in, well, is is page loading speed like this percentage of ranking factor or is it like, does it not matter? And Google will respond uh, kind of, you know, tongue-in-cheek and say, well, it doesn't matter as much as you think it does, but it does matter. And ultimately, (laughs) I know, it's very helpful, very helpful. So um, ultimately, it comes down to user experience because if your page load speed inherently is slower or faster, Google might not care. But in the grand scheme of thing of that user engaging with your content, they're going to pick up those signals and those engagement metrics to determine your page rank potential too. So it does matter, but they're not going to give us specific details on any of that. Yeah, I'll try to call them up and see what we can do. Perfect. I'm glad I've got someone doing that for me. (laughs) I've seen, and Spencer, you've seen how time and time again, driving traffic to a high converting page can help increase your SEO. 
in the same stroke, we haven't seen the same correlation between sending lots of traffic to a low converting page, but high promotion and a high conversion has equaled higher SEO ranking potential. I suspect, and this is solely based off what I've witnessed and tested, but it seems that this is because Google is able to track user engagement metrics from your promotional efforts and then start allocating organic ranking potential to that content as long as it's properly indexed. Yeah, it is interesting because, you know, Google, they've got a lot of smart people working on this stuff. And so that's why I like that idea of using these things as a North Star, because sometimes you can get bogged down in the weeds. But if you do start to think about what you're describing, hey, I've got this page it's super high converting. Now I'm going to send more traffic to it. Like if people are spending more time on it, Google sees that as, wow, they're getting some value out of this page, right? They're engaging with it. If they convert, that means they clicked, they filled out a form, they took some action. And so Google likes that because they're going, hey, they completed, you know, whatever this information was and they wanted more. So they took the next step. Is that kind of where we're going here? Absolutely. 100%. I mean, if you can engage with your users in a way and provide them the information that they're looking for to where they submit a form or make a purchase, that's a huge indicator that they're finding what they're looking for on your content. And so Google's going to start sending more people to that content to find their answers. And so let's start with types of content that you can use. And then we can also dive into some promotional channels. So you can break content into two main buckets, non-gated and gated. And these two categories impact your SEO differently. Non-gated content is readily available to the user without requiring anything in return, whether that be payment or just their email address via a form submission. So these non-gated pieces of content will take the form usually of blogs and website page content that search engines crawl and analyze. So this content, this non-gated content you're talking about, basically if somebody does a Google search and they land on any page and they can just start accessing the material, that's non-gated content. Yes. Mm -hmm. Perfect. And then the second category is your gated content, which means the user does have to give to get, per se. And that's usually through a form submission and giving their email address for a valuable piece of content like a pricing guide or a new home community guide. Now, your non-gated content, like your blogs and website pages, should always drive traffic to your gated content, like your pricing guides and your custom home build guides and all of that fun stuff. And so to do this, you should implement the best practices we discussed in episode three and four to improve your blog and website page ranking potential on search engines. Then your actual gated content shouldn't be indexed, meaning it can't be found organically in search results and just the landing page where the form is located should be indexed. So to break that down a little bit, indexed means Google can see it and they can actually find the page and then they will put it into their search results. So if somebody does a Google search, they're only gonna be able to get to the page if it's indexed. Yes. And then if it's not indexed, you're basically telling Google, hey, don't put this into your results. Even if it is really great content and somebody does a Google search and it's relevant, we're saying, no, we don't want it to show up in Google. Yes, right? yes. And the reason you don't want to index your premium content itself, like the PDF file where it is, is so that people can't find it unless they give their email address or whatever you're requiring for giving them that piece of content. And that's how the lead nurturing sequences as part of inbound marketing are so effective. So a good example of that might be 
okay, somebody's Googling kitchen pricing in Seattle. And if you have a guide that's, you know, you want somebody to fill out a form to get access to that, you don't actually want them to find the guide yet. You want them to find the page where they have to fill out the form. Is that right? Exactly. Yes. And I suspect that form submission numbers are a ranking signal to Google that improves your domain authority too. So if your only point of conversion is a contact us form on your website, then you're limiting your website's ranking potential. Adding gated content that increases the variety of forms that are relevant to users at different stages in the buyer's journey are going to help you improve your SEO. And subsequently, you should see an increase in the number of form submissions on your website, and that's going to positively impact your domain authority. That makes sense. So basically what you're saying is we should have lots of gated content and lots of opportunities for people to take the next step, take action, fill out some sort of form. By lots of gated content, do you mean lots of high converting content? Of course, okay. yes. Good, just making sure. <laughs> no, that's a good point because if you have a bunch of gated content but none of it is getting filled out, then that's not helping you. But if you're saying, hey, this is what people really care about and they're willing to give up this information, then do more of that. Yes, absolutely. Perfect. And I've linked to a case study on the topic in the show notes if you want to see results of this in action. Now, by nature of linking to your gated content in your non-gated content, like your blogs and website pages, you're improving your SEO through internal linking too. And that builds the system even more. Yeah, and it's interesting because again, I think it all just goes back to some of the stuff we just talked about earlier, which is, hey, somebody does a Google search, they land on a blog, they're getting helpful information, and they want to dive deeper, whether that's a link back to your services page, your team page to learn more, your process page, or to a landing page where they're going to fill out a form. But now that post is going to start moving up in the rankings because Google's seeing all that activity and they're going, hey, this is helpful content. People like this content. I want more people to get to this content. Yes. And so that will help organic rankings too. But it begs the question, well, do you need to start promoting your content first so that Google can actually index your content when they see that people are engaging with it, it's answering their questions, they're submitting forms? And I would say, yes, you do have to start promoting your content and get people on there from your social media, from your email marketing, from direct visits and direct hits so that your organic ranking potential can increase. Okay, so you mentioned a few ways to promote content. So you're saying, okay, I wrote a blog and I hit publish. We shouldn't stop there? <laughs> no, you shouldn't stop there. You have to let it be found. You have to let it be seen. I mean, if you have a great website, a great blog that answers questions and you know it does, but no one reads it because they can't find it, it's not going to do you any good. And so let's talk about three of the most important promotional channels that you can start utilizing right now. You've got email marketing, social media, and pay-per-click. And these all work to increase your organic ranking potential too. So let's start with email marketing. Perfect. And that's a useful promotional channel, especially because you can own your own audience. It's up to you to have an email list, who you segment into what emails you want to send out to people based off of what they're interested in. And so you own your audience, you control it. This is in contrast to social media, where you're only reaching a tiny, tiny fraction of your audience unless you put some money behind it. And you don't own your audience on social media, but you can still capitalize on the large network through boosted posts and ads. 
So I highly recommend you allocate about five to $10 towards any social media post to get the most value out of your time spent creating that content. Yeah, I think those are good points because we've certainly seen a correlation. And again, this is just from our direct experience, you know, but you post something and Google, you know, now they can index it, they can see it, but it doesn't mean like, boom, now I'm number one. And so, okay, how are we going to get some people to this? So Google can see that there's activity going on. And so we're going to go, okay, let's go to our email list. Hey, we just launched this great, helpful blog post. Check it out. Hey, we just published this project page, like you mentioned, check it out. And then people will get there again, go to social media, you know, boost the post, put a little budget behind it. Unfortunately, Facebook is a little more pay to play these days. Um, Yeah, they don't release it to all 100 fans or 1000 fans that you have on your, your business page. But yeah, once you start getting people to the page, then Google can see what's going on. They see that interaction. And again, if it's built to convert or built to engage and get them to another spot on the site, that can help jump you up in the, a little bit in the rankings, and then you can continue to build on that and start competing over time. But there's also pay-per-click too, if we need to accelerate things. So let's talk about that a little bit. Yes. If you want to kind of boost your original efforts, then you can also advertise on Facebook ads or Google ads. Oftentimes, Facebook ads is really good for promoting um, your blog content and your projects and your pricing and those kinds of features. And then Google ads, it's really going to depend on what you're trying to promote. Oftentimes, it works really well just to get you visible for the types of services that you offer. A word of caution, though, don't rely solely on PPC, pay-per-click, because it can damage your site's long-term potential. This happens because bounce rates and other user engagement metrics are generally worse from PPC sources like Google ads and Facebook ads than from your organic and direct and owned promotional channels like email and social media. Plus, pay-per-click costs are all expenses rather than marketing investment. And so, yes, use PPC strategically in the short term to drive website traffic but focus on building a sturdy organic ranking structure in your content marketing strategy to achieve long-term success. Yeah, it's interesting because you wouldn't think that pay-per-click could damage your organic ranking. But if you think about, I don't know, how Google maybe prioritizes things, they're going, hey, we want, that's how they generate a lot of their revenue is ad revenue from people paying, you know, spending there. And so, I've often thought that there's been some sort of correlation there between paid and organic. And sometimes it feels like if you are spending on paid, you see a little bit of a bump. But to your point, when you look at all these other metrics, you know, if if you're not spending paid wisely, meaning you're actually driving relevant traffic to relevant pages, it can really start to hurt you. Yes, yes, it can. And so quality content creation and promotion are both key components of a successful SEO strategy. Be vigilant to follow SEO best practices when creating your website content, but also be sure to capitalize on proper promotional channels to get users onto your website and to give search engines the user engagement data that they operate off of. As time progresses and new content types exist and new promotional channels are introduced, the means that you will use may change, but the methods can be more consistent. This is how you're going to get your business to rank on Google now, and unless Google throws a major curveball into the future. 
So thanks for tuning in. I'm Danielle. And I'm Spencer. And we're here to help you get found and get you leads. Join us next Thursday for an inside scoop regarding what exact kinds of content are best for improving your SEO and how to utilize internal linking and backlinking strategies without having to be an SEO mastermind.